Jen, it's Monday night. I know there's something that made you do a spit take. What'd you disagree with this week? So one of the Dallas beat writers came out and said that apparently the, 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 um, the Cowboys are planning on using Tony Pollard more in the slot, which is annoying, right? Because that would be great if it were to happen, right? We've all been kind of waiting for this Tony Pollard thing, explosion that's supposed to happen. And I've bought into it the last two years and gotten screwed the last two years because he's effectively parked behind Ezekiel Elliott on that depth chart, no matter what, unless, you know, unless Zeke has a major injury, Pollard is parked and beyond, you know, behind him, which is really frustrating for fantasy owners. You know, listen, it would be great if they did do that. Last year, uh, Pollard only ran 10% of his routes from the slot. So that, you know, if, if he were to get more work in there, that would be great. But I'm frustrated because I don't want to buy in again. Like I was kind of like, all right, cool. I let everyone else scramble for Pollard in that in that section where, you know, after the RB dead zone when people are scrambling for either their RB2 or if they're going zero RB, they're getting the first one. I don't want to invest in Pollard as much. So I'm going to just ignore this little uh, this little beat writer, you know, tidbit and just go about my business. I like it. I, I think that's fair. Ignore this as best as you can. Pollard already paying for him, so it's not like uh, it's not like you were getting a deal anyway. Uh, we'll watch and see how that happens versus uh, you know everybody's favorite rookie Jalen Tolbert in uh, Dallas. We'll see what develops. But uh, let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Niles. With me are my excellent co-hosts, as always, Jen Akins and Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I think we're at the point in the offseason where stories like what Jen laid out with Tony Pollard talking about getting slot snaps, even Lamar Jackson just tweeting that he's in the building now becomes like you know front row news like for the NFL at this point. So that's a time where I can kind of click the snooze button uh, on all of this stuff. So I'm I'm enjoying the summer at this point. But Jen, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, as I was talking about with you guys before we started recording, I'm really hot. Uh, Denver is very hot today and uh, kind of over it, over the climate change, over the heat. Uh, it should not be 99 degrees in mid-June uh, in, in Colorado, but it is, and I'm hot. Other than that, I am good. I am ready to, uh, like Chris says, kind of chill. June is kind of a, a lazy kind of point of the NFL cycle, so I kind of like to take a, try to take a little bit of a break, which we know is not really possible. But Brandon, what's going on with you? Oh, not much. I, I'm now just thinking about entering the building and like theme music. I was trying to imagine, Jen, what your theme music would be. If you <laughs> if you arrived in the Baltimore Ravens training facility and you said Jen is in the building with your tweet, what would be your theme music that would go with it, Jen? I don't know, man. That's and Chris, you know, I'm going to ask you, too. Yeah, you, know, you got to know what you're. Yeah, I don't know. I was not prepared for this question at all. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even, the four for four theme, right? It's yeah, and I don't <laughs> well, even yeah, have like true. I don't even have a walk up song. You know how some people like yeah. already ha have that, like, you know, fired up to know what people ask them that. I, I don't yeah. know what I would do. I will say one thing, though. Did that theme music that we just played, did it seem like to go up and down? Like, did it get slow and then faster? Oh, it's like, a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. Our <laughs> no, music is a trip. <laughs> It gets me pumped up. I don't know it about does. you guys. No, me too. It just sounded this this specific time. It like got kind of different. I don't know. Maybe that was. Just, uh -huh. <laughs> so no answer. Jen skirts the question. I skirts did. The I question skir completely. completely skirted. I got nothing. My Chris, brain theme music. Uh, I would go with uh, Nightmare Dreamscape uh, from uh, Meek Mill, like the 
theme or the song that they played for the Philadelphia Eagles when they came out and like played the New England Patriots. Like that has been like one of my favorite songs that still gets me fired up whenever I hear it now. So if I were to have a walk-up music or even just a theme song in the building, it'd probably be that one. Flawless. Absolutely flawless. I love it so much. And if you need theme music to get you into best ball action to help you draft at your absolute best, use it with a promo code. If you deposit $10 in a new underdog account, you get a deposit bonus match plus a 4 for 4 pro subscription. Just enter 4 for 4 4 for 4 in the promo code box at underdog. Get you some best ball action. Uh, Chris. I would like to hear before we get into our early round best ball strategy, which is the part three of our three part series. Uh, I want to hear what stat of the week you brought. All right. So I think what was it? Three weeks ago, talked about quarterbacks, uh, did wide receivers, running backs, and now tight ends. I know nobody cares about tight ends, or at least uh, to a certain degree other than like the early round guys. But I wanted to talk about just like tight ends in general, the tight ends that we don't see coming. Of course, we're always going to draft like the Travis Kelsey's, the Mark Andrews, like all of those guys, like the same names, the same faces that wind up in the top 12 of each year. But we kind of, we, we get new faces like each year. I think it was like last year, a couple of guys that popped up. I mean, Kyle Pitts, I mean, rookie, obviously, but also Dawson Knox, like kind of skirted into the back end of the top 12. We've had Logan Thomas like get into the top 12 like back in 2020. Even if you want to go all the way back, because I know like Brandon, for you with your trivia knowledge, I mean, some of the guys that folks were drafting back in 2013, like the Charles Clays of the world, like Delaney Walker yeah. like in his prime, like those types of guys that like we knew that I they love was possible. Charles Clay. From yeah, from Buffalo. Yeah. So it's just like those guys that you could squint and see having a role or like being productive in fantasy but it's just you had to make that bet on them. But like those types of tight ends, like they don't come out of nowhere. Like the research that I looked into, like the veterans that have had like those types of seasons where they pop into the top 12 and then they might be gone the next year, like irrelevant the next year or whatever. Like they actually did have a role in their team like the, the season prior, like for just straight veterans. So guys with three seasons or more averaged about in a 9% target share, 8.7% like to be exact. Uh, but for guys that were sophomores, so when we looked at, let's say, Dallas Goddard, like in the 2019, like 2019 season, yeah, we knew he was good. And like based off his draft capital, we expect to be athletic, like so on and so forth. But for any of those guys that would fall into the second year category, like a little bit higher target share, like 9.1%, like target share the year before they wind up like hopping into the top 12. And then for rookies, whether it was Evan Ingram, like his rookie season, Travis Kelsey, actually, I counted him because like he was injured, like his actual true rookie season. So when he came out, uh, when was that? Like 20, was that 2013 or no, no, 2014, rather take that back. I consider that to be his first year. But even like Kyle Pitts, like just last year, 17, like 0.6%, like for the rookies. So the guys that we knew were going to be athletic, guys that we knew were going to be productive based off the draft capital or whatever, like they wound up having like that level of targets. But it's just the veterans and sophomores, like those are guys that, we can at least at least see in their the previous year and we know that they're going to have like some role on the team and so like those are the types of bets that i want to make especially like on some of the late round guys so brandon i guess like kicking it to you first I, late round guys i we're throwing darts as it is but i mean the, the, how did like would you want to try and take a shot on a guy like moali cox is the one that came to mind at least for me just because we know that he has a role in the team 
We know that at least been, he's been semi-productive in the past. And if we squint, we can see him having like a significant role in that offense. But I guess, would that be at least a similar process for you when looking at tight ends? Like if you're digging into like any of those late round guys. Yeah, you know, the more you look at it, the more you see like your three tight ends, usually that's when they start to kind of pop and those veterans with a high target share, that's usually what you go for. So when we're looking every year for that next tight end that's going to break into the tight end one territory, uh, there's always a handful of guys and and very few of them actually end up working out. So uh, you need to take a few darts if you're going that route. And you need to look for the Mo Alley Coxes, like you just mentioned. And Mo Alley Cox specifically is a, you know, we know what he is. We know he's a guy that needs to be healthy. And we know that if he can be healthy, he can be productive. Uh, I kind of like Jelani Woods, uh, the the rookie they mm, drafted. Yeah. I, I will say, I don't, I don't draft rookie tight ends. So I'm looking at him for dynasty to sit on a taxi squad for two years and then take sure. over the job. But uh, say with Greg Dulcich in, in Denver, interested in him in about three years. But mm-hmm. uh and, and forget I promise we are not torturing my toddlers upstairs if you hear this. They are just uh <laughs> I, I, Being I'm, toddlers. Ass- I'm assuming they're bowling. I think that's the only explanation for the noises that I'm hearing going on up there. But uh yeah, Moelle Cox is somebody like uh Gerald Everett is somebody I'm still into just because I could see a target share in mm-hmm. Los Angeles in a good passing offense. Uh now I liked him last year in Seattle as well, but that's the way and then uh you know everybody's favorite player who's gone now is Jared Cook. Like uh, every year he would show up and he'd last until the ends of the rounds and he'd always finish like 10th as like mm-hmm. the tight end 10. So uh, it's nice when I'm going after tight ends and I'm bargain shopping, I usually try to grab one of those veterans and then I'll also grab kind of a young guy. So I had a lot of like Gerald Everett and Pat Fryermuth last year and that worked out because one of them hit. So. Yeah, no, I think that absolutely makes sense. And then Jen, for you, I mean, do you try and find like one of those late round guys to kind of pair with any of the early round guys that you might like, you might try and target like earlier on? Like if you are drafting a Mark Andrews, a Dallas Goddard or whomever, I mean, have you in the past, have you looked at any of those late round guys that you could take a shot on at least feel like, oh yeah, he might get me a few targets following the end zone a couple of times. Like who was it? I think back in 2013, 2014, you guys remember like Larry Donnell, like from the Giants? Like him, uh, let's see, Richard Rogers, like when he had like a decent shot, like in Green Bay, like those, have you looked at those guys in the past? Yeah. I mean, for this year specifically, like, yes, if I'll go, if I'll pay up and get, say, a Mark Andrews or Waller, then I'll wait and go to the kind of the bottom of the bin. And I really, one of the guys that you guys didn't mention that I'm kind of liking this year is Brevin Jordan. I think that he possibly have, you know... I mean, that offense is kind of up in the air, right, as far as targets after Brandon Cooks. You have Nico Collins, you have Mechie, and then you've got Brevin Jordan. And, you know, he's coming into a second year. You never know. Um, you know, if I go – I may not – I was going to say, like, if I don't pay up, then I'll get maybe two guys a little bit higher than him, you know, maybe like an Everett. And then, you know, say like a – I don't know, like a – who else? Am I don't say Higby. Just don't even don't no, say Higby. I, listen, I, I don't mention Higby's <laughs> name around you, Brandon. Um, no, I was going to say like an Irv Smith or a Robert Tunyon, you know, one of those sure. guys. OK, yeah. I may take two of those instead of, you know, waiting till kind of the, the Brevin Jordan of the world or the Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper. I mean, a lot of people are kind of ignoring yeah. him and not bad. I mean, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're looking at, you know, Robert Woods. You're looking at, you know, the rookie Burks and then. So I think that, you know, Austin Hooper may have a, a bigger path to targets than people are really giving him credit for. So mm-hmm. um, those are those are some of the guys that I kind of, you know, reach into the, the bargain bin shop and grab. 
Yeah, and I think with late round tight ends, of course we're we're throwing darts just like we're throwing darts at almost any position at that point in the draft. But at least the names, I, I do think that in like has history has shown the names are are not like we're not not completely unheard of. Like a lot of the targets that we're looking at, they're like you just mentioned, like Austin Hooper, whomever. Like we've seen them be productive in the past, or at least have significant roles like in the offenses they've been attached to. So there is some method to the madness. It's just can the role actually or can, can the bet actually wind up paying off? And that's kind of what we're doing with all the rest of the positions uh, once we get to that point in the draft. So tight end really is no different. And so seeing a guy that we could get with the very like last few picks in the draft, we can see them ascend like to the top 12 in tight end, especially because the position is relatively volatile and it's somewhat easy to get into the top 12 just because it's so predicated on scoring touchdowns and if you're used within the red zone just last year seven of the 12 top 12 tight ends like they were also in the top 12 for red zone for red zone uh targets as well so it's like if that's what it takes in order to be there i mean i think that we can kind of tell ourselves that type of story for almost every tight end that we've mentioned so far. And that's the type of process you can use for finding a guy that you want to take towards the back end of your draft. Absolutely. I, I love bargain shopping tight end. I like to stack them. I like to do multiple players. And then one of them usually will hit. It's just, a, a you know, if you're banking on one in all your lineups and all your leagues, you know, the, you better hope that one hits. But, you yeah. know, if you can uh, platoon it a little bit, you can usually find some uh, somebody that's good. Thanks. That's a great stat, Chris. I, 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 I appreciate you diversifying the positions that you go after. It's bringing a lot to the pod, and I appreciate you. Uh, let's do our Scott Fishbowl entry giveaway. Listeners, yeah. we had a giveaway last week for an entry into Scott Fishbowl. Our phenomenal producer, Sal, behind the scenes, randomized all the entries, has the wonderful wheel of giveaway fortune uh, up here, going to spin it, going to provide a winter sa a winner. Sal, who is our winner? Who are we rooting for again? I don't We're know. rooting for all of these wonderful people. All of these all wonderful of people. Mm-hmm. Adam at the zoo. All right. Adam at the zoo. So Adam at the zoo, uh, four for fours fantasy football account will reach out to you uh, about your Scott Fishbowl 12 giveaway, uh, your entry. Congratulations at Adam at the zoo. Thank you to everyone who uh, put in an entry yes. and subscribe to YouTube. We really appreciate you. Appreciate the listeners. We love our members. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at any time. And thank you again. So let's go on to our main topic, part three of our underdog best ball strategy, early round targets. Uh, this is rounds one through five or picks one through 60. If you prefer, I want to go a little different instead of just going position by position, because I feel like in the early rounds, it's less targets and more strategy. Uh, at least a little bit. We'll talk targets and talk uh, strategy or, or talk players that we like, but I, I don't want to do it quite the same way we did the last two. I, I want to start with kind of some overall strategy. Jen, I want to start with you. Uh, draft position in the early rounds. What, uh, I guess, which spots uh, dictate heavily your strategy? Like if, you, if you're picking in the back end or the middle or the first, um, do you already kind of have a strategy mapped out from there? Uh, it is interesting because I feel like in years past, it's been very kind of cut and dry. Like we're talking picks one through five or running backs, and then it's kind of a crapshoot. But I feel like this year it's a little different. I feel like this year, you know, that first pick, some like I've seen, I've seen Rodgers, you know, I've seen Cooper Cup go first. I've seen Jonathan Taylor go first. I've seen McCaffrey go first. I've seen Justin Jefferson go first. So I think it really, this year people are definitely mixing it up, which is fun. Um, I kind of, I mean, I like to mix it up anyway, 
But I feel like um, if I'm on the back half of the draft, I'm probably going to start out with uh, two wide receivers, depending on who's there. I'm just not a huge fan of the running backs that are usually left in that back side of the, of the first round, if that makes sense. I don't, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to take Joe Mixon there. I'm not going to, you know, there's only a certain amount of running backs that I will, that I will take a first round pick on. So if I'm, you know, say seven and up seven through 12, I am, you know, 80% going to probably take a wide receiver there. Um, unless someone falls, like if Najee Harris falls or if Eckler falls, I may grab him there or one of them there. Uh, but it's most likely that's what I'm going to do. Now, if I'm in the front half, uh, I just, it really depends on what happens before me and, and I'll mix it up. But I, I will take, you know, like I said, I will take, you know, Taylor, I will take McCaffrey, I will take Cup, I will take Jefferson, you know, it, those, like if I'm one through five, I'll take any combination of those guys, whoever is there and, and whoever I'm just kind of feeling at the moment. I'm never one of those people that sits down in the draft and is like, all right, I'm taking two running backs in the first four rounds. I'll take, you know, and a lot of people are very regimented that way. I'm not that way in life and I'm certainly not that way in, in drafting football. So I'm kind of a go with the flow kind of gal. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I like that. That makes a ton of sense to me. When we talk redraft and we get there, I want to hear, uh, in depth, which receivers you're targeting that early in the draft. Um, but I understand diversifying lineups and taking different ones in best ball. That's part of your best ball strategy. And part of the best best ball strategy is to, uh, evaluate how many entries evaluate, whether you're doing, uh, smaller, you know, 12 person leagues, three person leagues, or whether you're doing the tournament, because these strategies are different and they change. Uh, Chris, how do those different strategy types uh that you enter in best ball impact how you approach the early rounds uh actually to be quite honest it doesn't change a ton uh, at least from a from a draft slot standpoint and actually look using the roster construction tool that we have at four for four uh you we can look at like how uh teams have advanced over the past like couple of seasons now that we have enough tournament data to kind of give us a feel for what should our rosters look like after we get out of the sixth round or like as we're getting done with the early phase of the draft like what is the most optimal in terms of like advancing throughout some of these tournaments and like what i've found is essentially couple of running backs, four wide receivers, couple of running backs, maybe three wide receivers and a tight end. Like those have like the highest advance rates, uh, about like a 20% advance rates for a 20% advance rate for two running backs and four wide receivers, 19.8% advance rates for the two, three, one build that I just talked about. But you're essentially not over like overloading your draft or overloading your roster like early. So like the zero RB discussion, which I'm sure we'll have, while it has its own merits, optimally or like at least historically it hasn't been able to hit but we only have two seasons of data so it's not like we're out on zero rb it's just that for the teams that have done it the teams that have used it like it hasn't advanced as much as we would like to see or for at least the folks that like employing that type of strategy but that's the type of way that i try and approach it i try and look at like and uh, try and look at it from that standpoint like am i actually building a sound roster like structurally and if that's the case like i'm not having five running backs like to start my to start my squad or sure. i'm not investing like too heavily at the onesie positions like having like two early round quarterbacks and so i'm left essentially hanging on like the core positions which would be for me running back and wide receiver so if i can stick somewhere in that two four or a couple running backs or maybe three and three or two two three one like i mentioned if i can end the early phase like with that level of allocation like to each of those positions then at least from there i can start then piece together the rest of my roster by 
stacking my uh, running backs and wide receivers with the quarterback like once we get into the mid rounds or whatever the case may be but at least for the early rounds that's the type of structure that i want to try and have like as i get through the first six rounds so based on uh, what you're saying with the configurations you listed you're rarely approaching the onesie positions in this early part of the draft is that correct uh, typically that's my that's my personal preference if i do that like i i do i have done the uh, i have gone like the two three one build because uh, i have a ton of mark andrews and travis kelsey on rosters just because if i do have a later draft slot a draft slot i do wind up with mark andrews there because you wind up getting him on the wrap like after like let's say at the 203 204 like somewhere in that range so if that you know if i get mark andrews okay fine but then i know how to adjust the rest of my roster so i am kind of again building like a sound roster from a structural standpoint Sure. Jen, uh, are you uh, having a similar approach to the onesie positions? We've talked a lot about how we're not really paying up for tight end, you and I. Uh, you know, when you're looking at diversifying your builds and you're looking at the onesie positions, what do you find yourself ending up with in these first rounds? Well, like Chris said, I definitely have my fair share of Andrews. Um, and, and in a similar position, you, you kind of get him on the wraparound. Or if he falls to, you know, sometimes he'll fall to the end of the second and I'll certainly grab him there. I'm grabbing a little bit of Waller because I'm kind of, and well, I think we're going to get into stacks later, but I'm, I, I kind of yeah. like, you know, stack, you know, grabbing, you know, Devontae Adams and Waller and then grabbing Carr later. Um, I've, I've been known to do that a little bit here and there. So, uh, but other than that, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really going, I, I definitely don't have, I don't think I have any Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. Like I definitely have not Damn. taken, taken a quarterback that early at all. Uh, you know, I, if I get, if I end up with, you know, Mark Andrews, I'll certainly, you know, try to sprinkle in some Lamar if I can get there. But um, I will say, I don't think that I've drafted George Kittle this season. I, I Interesting. now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I don't think I've done it. I just, you know, he just scares me. He, he, he I don't know. I just feel like I, I invested kind of heavily in him last year and um, went on the field. He's great. He just, you know, he, he's a maniac and he gets hurt. And um but his price is decent. I mean, it's it's definitely slipped this season due to that reason. But I just haven't – I don't know. I have to check my exposure, but I don't remember clicking that button for him at all this season yet. I can't believe he's like 28, 29 years old. I just feel like he's only is been he? in the league. Yeah, yeah he, I feel like he's wow. like 36. He just yeah, plays – he's he's a maniac. And that's great, you know, when he's on your team and when he's on the field. But he just sets himself up to just get clobbered, I feel like. You know, and that that goes in line with what we talked about last week. That there's a lot of quarterbacks that we really like in the in round six through twelve. Like there's a lot of guys you could get that you could foreseeably tell a story about them becoming the QB three, QB one, QB four uh, at the end of the season. We've talked about Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott and players like that. Uh, I will admit, uh, Justin Herbert in the fourth happens sometimes for me. That happens for me. Sometimes. I've done that. Yeah. But especially when I get Eckler early on or or uh, or if I take Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, you know, in the third or something like that, I'll often uh, wrap around and get Herbert there. But uh, I'm with you on the onesie positions for the most part uh, in these early rounds. You know, a lot of the questions that I come up with, we just talked about George Kittle and the injuries. Uh, there's other guys with injury concerns. We saw Derrick Henry finally seem almost human last year when he missed some games, uh, less human when he came back. It still looked like an utter literal monster, but mm -hmm. Uh, him he was and uh, one in fantasy points, just so you right? know, even though, yeah. yeah, let's let's be real there. Insane. <laughs> uh, he, he's incredible. Uh, and CMC, obviously, two years injury plagued when he still, though, during the two years when he sees the field, he's productive. Uh, Alvin Kamara has been a little banged up. 
but uh, might be spacing a suspension. We don't know yet. Saquon Barkley, two injury-plagued years now. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. How are you, Chris, approaching these guys that have the injury tags and the injury concerns that you're, you're really not getting much of a discount for? Uh, how much are you sprinkling them into your lineups right now? I'm, I'm taking them at cost, to be quite honest, because we don't know what or how the injuries, like if they're actually going to occur again. And for at least all of the early round guys, there's been no news that I've seen to indicate that they're behind schedule or yeah, it's all glowing not, right now it's all glowing right now like christian mccaffrey like still looks decent her positive reports about derrick henry as well so each of those guys i mean outside of the looming suspensions like you mentioned for alvin kamara because i think i just read a report earlier today saying david johnson was visiting the saints or something along those lines well that's interesting uh, and completely not right yeah <laughs> so it's just like it's just like those things that pop up and just like huh Okay, maybe there's something to that. But regardless, the outside, but for the injury concerns or for the guys that have had injury concerns like just last season, no, like we can't, I at least cannot predict injuries. So I'm not going to pretend to. I will at least assume that they are healthy until we get word that there's concerns about uh, they're not going to be available for training camp. Like we just heard about, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I can't remember the player's name offhand, but like if we start to hear that sort of discussion, then okay, fine. I will, I will, you know, ease off on drafting said player. But for the early round guys, I haven't heard anything to that at this point. So I'm assuming they're healthy, and I'm I'll be more than happy to take them at cost as of right now. Excellent. You know, I think I over, I think I I, I get too skittish on guys coming off injuries. I think I have a short memory, and I think I get a little too skittish. Adam Hutchison, our uh, our uh, resident physical therapist that uh, that writes a ton of great content at four for four. He does the training room update during the season. Uh, just had a phenomenal article about Christian McCaffrey and about how unrelated each of his injuries are to each other and mm -hmm. why he uh, is not super concerned about Christian McCaffrey. So it's uh, same for Barkley too, if I'm remembering right. Barkley too, yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was a big proponent for Barkley last year as well, and he's kind of kind of buying him again this season. Uh, Jen, if you have something on that, feel free. But I also want to hear. We talked about stacks, so lead into your approach to stacks. Like, do you reach for them? Is it something you you gear for, or is it something you kind of let happen as it does? Uh, yeah, no, I have nothing to say on the injury. My, I was a, I was about to chime in about the McCaffrey article because I edited it this morning, so I knew Excellent. that that was yeah, it was on the site. Um, he hasn't done the Barkley one. He's got because he and I went over the uh, the plan. Uh, he's got about four more that will be coming out on, uh, oh, some, good. Of the, so, on yeah. some of the bigger injury guys uh, coming yeah, he's up. He's great stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so as far as stacks go, um, do I reach for them sometimes? I mean, I try not to. Uh, there's, you know, there's times where, you know, it depends on what you really consider a reach, right? I mean, I'm not going to reach like two rounds for somebody, but if I know that, you know, they're not coming back, you know, in the next round, then I may, I may take them seven or eight picks ahead of their ADP sure. uh, just because it's somebody that I want. Uh, you know, I think maybe it was last week we were talking about Russell Wilson and how I just can't yeah, I, wanted see, to, I, I wanted to hear if you've got him yet. I, I did. And I, but I reached oh, for, I reached for him a little bit. I reached like a half a round for him, but I did finally get him because I wanted him. You know, I just kept finding myself not in the right draft slot to get him. Um, but I do, you know, I, I wanted to get a Bronco stack. And because uh, that Bronco Casey game in week 17 is, is, you know, could be a shootout. So I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, load up on both of those uh, stacks. But yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think stacks are important in, in best ball. I know there's some people that think that they're not and they'll just draft willy nilly and that's fine. But 
Um, and, you know, I know the whole week 17 correlation is kind of the hot button thing that's going on right now. Everyone's talking about it. But even before that, just regular stacks, I think, are super important. And um, I don't like to leave drafts without at least, you know, a big stack and then a couple little mini stacks or even two big stacks and a couple mini stacks. And um, so, yeah, I do. It is something that I look for. I'm not going to crazy, crazy reach, but I'll kind of reach a little meander. Meander. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, which receiver did you pick on your stack? Uh, always Sutton. Always Sutton. Always. Yeah, me too. Always I, Sutton. I've been, I've been liking um, that too. I have a little Judy just because I feel like, you know, a lot of people are just kind of taking that. Okay. Cause last year was not great for him. I mean, let's be real. He was hurt and he wasn't effective, but it was also a totally different system, different quarterback, different coach. You know, you had the Fangio era, which is totally different. So I think that we have to give Judy a little bit of grace here and I'm not, I'm not completely ignoring him, but I do like Sutton. And it's funny. You mentioned Greg Dolchit. Like I'm, I'm cool. I'll take him. I mean, even yeah. though we, we know rookies don't perform and I'm not going to like, you know, take him a lot or anything, but I will take him with my last pick because he'll be there and you never know. He pops up one random game for two touchdowns and he's worth it already at that point. So, and he could do it. Alberto, not exactly a bastion of health so far in his right. uh, young exactly. career. Exactly. Uh-huh. Hoping he's healthy. Hope I'm rooting for the And he's kid, got beautiful but, hair. Know. I mean, you know, there's <laughs> Which is the most important thing, I, I think. Mean, of course. Uh, Chris, uh, let's talk zero running back just a little bit. Describe uh, quickly the Cliff's Notes version of what zero running back is and uh, what your zero running back strategy looks like when you find yourself following that in the early rounds. Sure. And I am obviously not the person to go and talk to you about the core tenets of zero RB. Definitely go and t- <laughs> take a look at Sean Siegel's original article from the 2012 time period, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Sean's if great. He- yeah, like Sean, like one of the I wanted to say like the greatest like philosophers like regarding like fantasy football of our time. But at least for me, especially if we're talking about like underdog, like best ball content, like if that's the that's the context of this conversation for me. Zero RB is no running backs in the early rounds because the early rounds essentially dictate how much we're going to be allocating like towards each of those positions. Like we were talking earlier about whether you go two, three, one, two, four, one, two, whatever the case may be, because we do know at least the highest producers are likely to come like from those early rounds. So if you make the decision summarily say, I'm not going to go for with any running backs during the early rounds. To me, that signifies more of a zero RB build versus saying it has to be six wide receivers off the board, seven or whatever. And I've typically, my early round construction has typically been five wide receivers and one early round tight end, just because I do like to have that flexibility of having the early round tight end to have strength at not just one position, but two positions coming out of coming out of the early rounds. So if I can get a Travis Kelsey and then a slew of wide receivers afterwards, or Mark Andrews and a slew of wide receivers, or whatever the case may be, that gives me strength that I already know coming out of the early rounds, wide receiver is going to be a strength of my roster. But now if I have that, locked in with a tight end as well, then so much the better. And I prefer that route because stacks are something that, like I, since we were just talking about it, stacks are something that I try and approach naturally. I don't want to lock myself in to say that, well, because I drafted Keenan Allen, that means I have to get like Justin Herbert. Or because I drafted Mike Evans, I have to I have to draft Tom Brady. That, that's actually not a good example because Tom Brady is available at fairly affordable prices, sure. eighth, eighth or ninth round. 
But again, like I don't want to lock myself into that stack the moment that I select that early round wide receiver. But at least with five wide receivers or, or however, like if I go uh, five wide receivers and a tight end, I just have five options at quarterback already that I can like naturally stack with with any of those guys that I've selected in the early rounds. So doing it that way versus going early round QB, at least it gives me that flexibility to kind of mix and match like what my stacks are going to be like later on. And you can work in the week 17 correlations as you want to, because a lot of the guys that are that you would take from a wide receiver standpoint in the early rounds, they do kind of naturally correlate because you can get Devonte Adams and Debo Samuel right out the rip. And like those guys correlate Mike Evans and DJ Moore correlate. So it's just like, there's easy ways to kind of fix, uh, to fit those core concepts into your best ball, uh, like the, for zero RB without having to stretch without having to take guys well ahead of their ADP, which will wind up affecting your ability to actually advance that team like later on. So that's at least my general approach to doing like zero RB. It's also interesting, uh, you know, with the injuries we see at the running back position, you know, I, I always hear that as one of the aspects of why you might approach it that way. You take kind of the receivers that don't take as much of the beating, and then you just kind of hope you get lucky with some of those backup and third down backs. Uh, Jen, do you have, uh, I, I'm curious, when you go in with a zero receiver uh, strategy, which I'm hearing more and more as a statement, uh, some of our friends that we've had on the show before have discussed uh, zero receiver, Hillel Chami is one, and then uh, we had... Uh, We've had uh, Dave Kluge came on, and he I know he's a big zero receiver guy. Uh, I, I tend to kind of be the traditionalist in me, likes going running back early. It's just kind of who I am. Uh, but, Jen, when you're going zero receiver, uh, what does that strategy look like for you? I can honestly say I've never gone zero receiver. I don't think ever in, in a draft. So um, that is not something that I, I'm comfortable doing. Um, but I would assume that if others were doing it, they are – You know, th- listen, I've seen – many, many RB hoarders you know, over the years in these, in these drafts. And they'll start out, you know, four running backs and a tight end or four running backs and a, and a quarterback. I, I just can't stomach it. Like I can't kind of go in and have, you know, my, my wide receiver one, you know, something I, I can't even like Marquise Brown or I don't know, just something to where you're getting a, a team's, I don't know. I just can't, I can't do that. I need good wide receivers on my teams to feel comfortable. Uh, so I definitely don't go that route, but I see it a lot. I see one to two guys or gals in, in each draft room that will start out, you know, either four running back straight or they'll go two and then a tight end, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go two straight and then grab, say, Kittle or Waller or whatever in the third and then keep going with two more running backs after that. And then they just hammer those, you know, those mid middle wide receivers that I understand that they can hit and I can understand that they – can't have good weeks. I mean, you're going to get, you know, decent production from some of these guys, but it's just not, it's not someone I'm comfortable with where, you know, my mind is blank right now. I'm like a good, you know, where you're kind of like, okay, so you're starting, you know, like, like Allen Robinson, like he's fine, but I don't, I don't want him to be my wide receiver one, you know, or, or, you know, I don't want Juju Smith Schuster to be my wide receiver one or Bateman. I mean, Bateman's fine this year. and, And I know people are excited about him, but, I just, I don't feel comfortable with that build. So I don't do it, but I see a lot of people that do it. And I don't know what the numbers are for advance rate and how those do. But uh, in my mind, I, it's just not, it's not the optimal strategy, at least for, for my liking. And sure. more to your, more to your point, Jen, the guys that we're listing off, it's almost like 
there's a specific archetype of receiver that you'd be looking for after you do that, like, you know, run of running backs. And maybe if you do grab a quarterback and tight end to finish off the early rounds, there's almost a specific receiver that you would want to have. And that will probably force you to take them ahead of their ADP. Right. Exactly. So like you're, you're, you're forcing it at that point. So it's like, okay, if let's say a guy like Devonta Smith, who could be, at least a you know have a decent target share like for the Eagles this season like he could be that guy but again if unless he falls to you once you get to the seventh round because I think I've typically seen him go in the sixth again you're you're now you're forcing that player you're forcing that archetype and so that's where again you're going against one of the core or basic tenets of building a best ball roster which is not to be reaching on guys on adp right. or at least not to significantly rate like reaching on them so that's where again i'm 100 with you where i wouldn't feel comfortable at doing it because in my mind i know that i'd be looking for that specific guy because i'm with you i don't want amon ross st brown to mm -hmm. be like my wide receiver right. one i'd prefer him to be my wide receiver three or four so it's like, unless I see that wide receiver that I could potentially see having a wide receiver one outcome, then it's like, I, I don't know. It just, it just feels awkward. And I feel like I'd be forcing it for the rest of the draft. Good stuff. I like this. So some of these more extreme strategies obviously result in a little bit more extreme results, but uh, you know, we can skip this based on on what we talked about. I, I want to talk about like favorite targets for each of those strategies. I, I know for me, uh, I was going to cheat a little bit because I, I I just don't go zero running back. I tend to be a little bit more balanced. I don't go full on zero re wide receiver either. If I go running back, running back in the first two rounds, I'm probably hitting receiver in the third and fourth round. Uh, but I know when I'm doing zero receiver or if I'm going that approach, I really like it, it probably means I'm in the back part of the draft, which is the opposite of what you said, Jen. Uh, but it's because I'm seeing so I'm seeing more receivers go in the top eight picks than I ever have playing fantasy football like it's you know yeah cooper no, cup sure. justin jefferson all those guys are yeah. gone by the time so if i'm back into the draft i i have no problem taking Najee harris or or dalvin cook or joe mixon and just uh kind of double tapping the position there and that that's what usually leads me into my zero receiver strategy uh chris uh, when you're looking at zero running back uh or zero wide receiver really um which targets are you looking at in those first couple rounds or or in those few early rounds I want those like the for especially for zero running back. I want the essentially the antithesis of the anchor RB where you got the no doubt starter at running back. I want the no doubt starter at wide receiver. Stefan Diggs has been that guy for me. And then also if I can lock in a guy like Mike Evans on the wrap, like in the second round, we already know like with Mike Evans, at least at, at best. Godwin will might miss a couple of games to start the season. At least the Bucks have no incentive to bring him back as quickly as possible, considering they could sleepwalk to the playoffs at this point with the Seemingly. way the NFC South is looking like. And without where we don't know Gronk's status as well. So just all the targets for Mike Evans. So if I can lock in like those two wide receivers, like right off the bat, and then I can easily correlate do the week 17 correlation because Buffalo gets Cincinnati. I can grab a Tyler Boyd later, or if I'm done with wide receivers at that point when Tyler Boyd comes up, I can maybe grab a Chris Evans or Samaj P. Ryan at running back because I'm going to be looking at a probably six running back like type build. So I'd probably grab a Chris Evans like for that week 17 correlation. And with Tampa Bay, like I already mentioned, DJ Moore is available. If you think that Robbie Anderson's tweet over the weekend is, you know, just him having a bad day, you can grab Robbie Anderson later. Or if you want to grab yeah. Donta Foreman, 
also that's because you're going to have a number I love like this. a decent you're talking number me into bets. this Chris. I so like it's just this. like it's possible to do all of those things you know have a strong at least a strong start or structurally sound at least for zero a zero running back early and then also be able to do the week 17 correlation late without reaching on any of those guys and that's the whole point of building some of these rosters optimally Jen, how about I, I? I like this Carolina stacking this this late round Robbie Anderson Deontay Foreman stacking. I I love this approach. I'm I'm definitely doing a lot of that with both those players. Uh, Jen, who are your zero running back and zero wide receiver targets in the early rounds? Um, if I'm going zero RB, I kind of like I like it in Adams. Um, as I said earlier, you know, stacking him with you know Carr, Renfro, Josh Jacobs, whatever. It, it's all there. Um, and then the correlation there is going to be San Francisco. So you can grab like a Jeff Wilson, you know, l- later guys um, there. Um, I do like also uh, with Adams, I do like either CD Lamb because I do like that correlation too. Dallas plays Tennessee. So there all those Tennessee guys are available super late. Um, mm-hmm. Or like Chris said, Mike Evans. So really I like to do like Adams Lamb if I'm right on the turn because uh, Lamb will go, you know, usually right, right there. Um, and then Evans will sneak in a little bit later into the round. Um, and then if I'm going uh, zero wide receiver, which I don't really do, but um, I would do, you know, like an Eckler or Jones, or I would, you know, would do like a, you know, Najee Harris, Eckler, if you have a scumbarack or Najee Jones, one of those guys, like Chris said, that you're not going to, you're not, you know, like if you're not going hero RB, which is one of the, you know, stellar, then, then you, you know, kind of grab that second guy on the way back. I'm not, I'm not a mixing gal. Even I know last year he was great and I know he proved, you know, better last year. I still just can't do it. I don't know. There's something within me that cannot draft Joe Mixon. No, I fair enough. Fair. That's I don't know fair. what it is. Like, you know, I, last year was the O-line I refused and I know that they've made some improvements uh, there, but I still just, I mean, I'll probably actually now, I, I don't know if I can, I may not. We'll have to see. So far, <laughs> but, I definitely have not. Another combo that I've been doing, even if I'm not going to do, because I probably won't do zero wide receiver at all. Uh, like I've had too much like Denny Carter experiences. Like right. so I just, I, there's no way I could do it. But um, like Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, like right off the bat, because Ooh, yeah. even there, I'm not like reaching that. on ADP, already have the week 17 correlation built in like right there. I mean, it's just like an easy way to start off like with the solid running back duo. And if you want to do the zero wide receiver thing, just continue to build from there. But yeah, yeah that's I, uh, I will part. say that week 17 correlation for those two teams is great because there, mm-hmm. there's so many. I mean, Osborne and, you know, yep, you Lazard and, and uh, what's yeah. his name? Romeo, do what's his name? Dubs. Romeo du- Dubs. Or if you uh, want to yeah. grab Randall Cobb in like the 18th yeah. round, if you want to. Robert Tunyon, Irv Smith, yeah. Kirk Cousins, they're all there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So we're we're talking stacks. That's a good segue. So Jen, uh, let's since you were just talking stacks, uh, what's a what are some stacks that you think are worth paying for when you're paying up early? And this could be uh, two players that are worth stacking early, or it could be uh, players you're that are worth the cost because the stacks are cheap later. Either way, what what are you kind of your favorite teams to stack uh, with an early round starting point? Um, I like, okay, so I did mention the, you know, Devontae Adams. Uh, I like that sack. Sometimes I'll, I'll grab Waller, too, if I'm going early tight end and then throw Carr in there. And like I said, I'll correlate with San Francisco. Mitchell, Jeff Wilson, you know, one of those guys. Um, the other stack I like on the early side is the Chargers. Um, I've definitely done my share of Allen and Herbert and then grab like an Everett, Josh Palmer later. And then you can kind of correlate that with the Rams. You can get some Daryl Henderson or, you know, any, you know any of those guys kind of on the later side after you get, 
you know, A-Rob and Cooper Cup, of course. So um, there's Higby, of course. I know, Brandon, you hate him, but he is available for well, that. Well, he is I'm available sorry, for, just, that, for that I'm correlation sorry, I'm sorry, I just want. threw up a little. I'm sorry. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, Allen, and a lot of people, you know, you can even do Allen, Williams, and Herbert. You know, I mean, you're paying, you know, premium at that point, and, and I really haven't kind of done that yet um, because I think it's weird. Allen and Williams go very close together in ADP. And, yeah, the thir- um, you're you're paying a third back. round pick for them. Yeah, like I've seen, I've seen people at the turn, you know, grab like Jonathan Taylor and McCaffrey, and then hit Allen Williams, and then grab Herbert, you know, at, later on. And you know, listen, it's a great stack. I think that uh, you know Herbert is just getting into into the goodness for him. So, um, but yeah, I would say I would say the Chargers, and then um, grabbing either Devonte and or Waller, and then waiting later with those are kind of the two earlier stacks I usually go for. Excellent. Chris, uh, what's a stack? What are some early stacks that you think are worth paying for? Uh, any of the like the Denver stack. So give me any of the Denver guys. Like if you want to go Javante, Russ, and then insert one of the later round like wide receivers. So give me like Tim Patrick, give me KJ Hamler. I mean, those are all like easily affordable, like at their ADP. And then the week 17 correlation for them, which is Kansas City. I mean, you can hit uh, MBS later. You can take uh, juju at cost if you want to, because again, the, the way that I'm trying to approach it is trying to get these guys like naturally, like get them at ADP without having to reach Russ, like his ADP, like I've tried to let him fall to where, to where his ADP is at. And I've gotten sniped a number of times in doing so. But if you wanted to try and go about at least the, the right way, at least the, the optimal way, I think that would be the best. Like to love the Denver stacks, uh, the Ram stacks are all like fairly affordable, like minus unless you, you know uh, you have an early round pick or early draft slot to get Cooper Cup. But all the rest of the guys, I mean, Stafford fairly affordable. Uh, Daryl Henderson, if you're still on that train, like also going like way late unless you're uh, unless you love Cam Akers. So is Cup worth paying up for if you've got the second, third, fourth pick and he's I think there so. Worth yeah. Paying. Okay. Yeah, I would say take him at cost too, like, you know, fourth overall, like third, fourth overall. Absolutely. Because again, you can naturally get like Matthew Stafford with a much later round pick. Uh, we'll have the, we won't mention the tight end that plays the Rams, but also has an affordable ADP as well. So just again, that's the theme. That's that's the way I want to go about it. Baltimore also too. I mean, Lamar, like for what we think his ceiling could be being drafted as the QB five at this point, when we know yeah. he has like top two, three upside. And then the Pittsburgh week 17 correlation, get Fryermuth in like the 11th, 12th round, Claypool in the ninth, 10th round, Deontay Johnson, if you want to take him at cost, not a bad option as well. So just like all, like all three of those teams have all their players at ADP, very affordable and easily stackable with the week 17 correlation too. Yeah, that week 17 correlation. So we've been talking for weeks now about um, underrated games uh, that that we games that that might be worth looking at that, uh, you know, probably no one's looking at when I'm diversifying lineups. I Colts Giants in week 17. And I know this look, this sounds terrible, but like new offenses and new quarterback situation with the Colts. Like, I feel like that game could pr- produce some some fantasy points. Sure. Uh, so I, I have a couple mega cult stacks, uh, which three point one's a little early. They're so to take easy Michael to Pittman. do, though. They're so yeah. easy, right? So I'll I'll do a lot of like Jonathan Taylor, and then like Tyreek Hill, and then Michael Pittman. Like I'll do if I if I'm picking first or second, and Taylor's there, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know you could get. I, then I always get Matt Ryan, Naheem Hines, and Moelle Cox. I end up with a mega cult stack because those last three are so cheap. Sure. Uh, and then I'm 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 happily paying for chargers. I just 
Eckler yeah. in the first, and then one of those receivers, and then Herbert in the fourth, and Everett late. I love it. <laughs> you know, yeah, that game is one of my highest stacked games at this point. Me too. Yeah. I want to throw out one more game that I don't think we've talked about in all the pods that we've been talking sure. about the Week 17 correlation. It's super gross when you think about it, but then at the same time, because <laughs> it's like we've talked a lot. We've talked about the Houston Jacksonville, right? Gross no. but potential. Yep. Haven't talked about Detroit Chicago, like. That's gross. Yeah, it's kind of gross, but at the same time, it's like you can stack, you can get all those guys, and if it ends up being a crazy shootout, then you're moving on, you know. Uh So, and you never know. Yeah, I mean, Detroit. There's not a lot of expensive pieces in that game, right? I mean, beyond because their wide receiver one, Darnell Mooney, is going in the sixth or seventh round, if I remember. And then you got all the, you know, you got. I think Swift is the only one you got to pay for. Right. I mean, right. Or like TJ Hawkinson and Monroe St. Brown. I'm like, they're whatever. But I mean, Doff is always there at the end. Super cheap. Justin yep. Fields, you know, and I feel like, you know, There's I don't know. If a lot of Herbert people, late. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if a lot of people have been kind of talking about that game as one of those uh, gross games that could actually produce some points at the end. I love it. I love it. Uh, let's talk about uh, the other side of the the coin. So uh, stacks that are too expensive in the early rounds to to invest in. So uh, let's start with you, Chris. Like, which stacks uh, are you not? Are you kind of shying away from early rounds because they're too expensive? I have been unable to do the Diggs Allen like the primary bill stack. Uh, I have I have plenty of like just mini correlations with that Buffalo Cincinnati game because I do have Diggs on a number of rosters. But like I was talking earlier. You're almost you feel like you're locked into that stack. At least some folks feel like they're locked into that stack the moment that they take Stefan Diggs. And I'm just I'm trying to at least get away from doing that. And I can just still get that week 17 correlation without having to force myself into drafting Josh Allen at cost. So it's just been too expensive for me to do. I would rather just wind up grabbing, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Tyler Boyd later, Chris Evans later. If I want to also like pair Diggs with Devin Singletary as well, like Devin Singletary, James Cook, or whomever, I can you know mix and match or like piece together enough players like from that game in order to have enough exposure to to be happy with it without also having to take Josh Allen. I, I, I like that. The Josh Allen is awfully expensive. As much as we like him, it makes sense to kind of shy away. And then you're you're banking on two two of your first three picks to be Bills, which is uh, yeah. interesting. But that that is expensive. It's very I don't want to slander. I mean, TJ probably already has me sure. muted anyway. So I don't want to slander <laughs> Josh Allen, but it's just a, it it does come at a heavy cost, though. It does. Absolutely. Jen, what's a, a an early round stack that's not worth the price of admission to you? I don't know if this really counts as early round because I know that he's not necessarily one through five. I think he's a six rounder, but um, the chase burrow, like, I just don't know that it's a little pricey for me because chase is insanely, you know, and Higgins is even pretty high. I mean, they're both, you know, rounds one and two. And then all of a sudden, and, and you know, round six, you have burrow and he may even sneak up to a fifth rounder by the end of the season, depending or by the end of draft season, depending on what happens. So, I mean, it's not like it's super duper pricey, but it's just one that I don't seem to kind of do. Like it just doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't end up going there. I think I, I kind of skip, I think that tier uh, of, of quarterbacks in general, if that makes sense. Like I don't, I'm, you know, I'm either going to get, you know, Herbert or, or, or Kyler or Lamar. And then I kind of wait to go to like Russ or Tom Brady or, you know, I just, I kind of skip, skip the burrow i don't know I, I really i guess it's just him because i've taken hurts and i've taken <laughs> yeah so i guess it's just burrow and i have nothing against him as a, as a real life or fantasy quarterback i just don't find myself in a position to take him i guess 
Higgins in the second, which is what I'm seeing. Higgins in the second. I, I'm kind of with you, Jen. It, it, we talked last week about Elijah Moore in the sixth. You're drafting him at his ceiling. Like you're asking, you're you're drafting him, saying uh, he's going to produce at the ceiling. That it, Higgins, that I love T. Higgins. I, I love him as a player. Uh, I wish the Dolphins had him. Like <laughs> I, I love T. Higgins, but I, I feel like T. Higgins in the second is drafting him at his ceiling. Like you're drafting him, hoping for the maximum output for him. Do you feel the same way, Jen, or am I, am I, am I being too hard on it? No, I mean, I've done it. I've taken him and I, and I probably continue to, but when you actually sit down and think about it, like you're saying, yeah, I mean, you're taking a team's wide receiver two in the second round when there's a lot of wide receiver ones with a lot of volume that are still there. And it's, it's hard to kind of justify that. Uh, but I've done it, you know, I just, like you said, I think it, it's, it's a little scary and it's a little bit, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're investing a lot in someone that is, is not, uh, he's the second guy on a team where I, I don't know, like you said, yeah, I've seen him go above, above Devante. I've seen him go above Devante. Oh, Adams, wow. I have not which seen is, that. Cause every once in a while I'll see Devante Adams slide to the mid second. Uh, I'll see that happen sometimes. Not if I'm in there, but ahead. yeah. <laughs> So, um, Chris, am I crazy? Just uh, the resident Bengals fan have to ask. Uh, it's not. I'll just say that it's not outlandish to think that T. Higgins could have a better year. Just last year, if you look at their total season output, uh, Jamar Chase, 24.2% target share, uh, if I remember correctly. And then T. Higgins had a 23.9% target share. So they weren't that far off. And that's in total target share. And remember... There were a number of weeks where T. Higgins essentially just disappeared from the offense. I think he missed a game, if I remember. Either way, but the the splits, like once the Bengals' offense actually started being like more pass heavy, T. Higgins actually did wind up out targeting Jamar Chase like down the stretch last year. So interesting. It's not outlandish to think that Jamar Chase, let's say takes a step back is probably like too extreme of a term but let's just say normalizes there we go thank you that that's a better term (laughs) for what i'm saying so it's like there's a chance that jamar chase doesn't hit his ceiling so that allows more work for t higgins in order to be because they also were almost matched in terms of air yard share as well so it's not so i'm just saying like the the bull case for t higgins is that jamar chase just has the let's say the sophomore slump but he's still a wide receiver one. But instead of him being the wide receiver two as he's being drafted, he's like, let's say, the wide receiver eight or nine. But then T. Higgins, who's being drafted as, let's say, the wide receiver six, he then bumps up to the wide receiver three or four just because the production now tilts his way this season. It's possible. I'll just say that. Like the red zone targets, like all the opportunity, air yard share, all that is there for T. Higgins in order to overtake Jamar Chase just for this season. It's not to say that Jamar Chase is bad. It's just that that offense is clearly supported two wide receivers and we could just see this season that the order of those wide receivers just flips and it's Higgins chase instead of chase Higgins. Interesting. Interesting. No, no, it's just, it's one of those things in the second round that always strikes me. I, uh, I'm not buying the chiefs, uh, stack. It's just too expensive. Kelsey, uh, late first, early second still. And then Mahomes in the third, if he lasts that long, I, I'm not buying that Clyde Edwards, Alaire. I don't want to take him in the running back dead zone. I just, there's other targets there that I'd rather take. Uh, and then all those receivers are creeping up in ADP too. It's just not, not that I won't have any chiefs on my roster, but it's not going to be a stack that I target, 
uh, heavily because of that. Chris, are you buying uh, that? Do you have any? I know you have Kelsey, but do you mm-hmm. have any like Mahomes? Do you have any of the 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 big chief stacks? Surprisingly, no. And after I got done running through twenty puppies on underdog, I looked through and I was like, I had not drafted Patrick Mahomes not a once. Interesting. Yeah, I have like plenty of other chiefs around him. I don't think I've drafted Sky Moore, Justin Ross. I have a little bit of Clyde Edwards-Lair, but no Patrick Mahomes. I've just found myself taking either other quarterbacks uh, in that range, wide receivers or running backs to fill out the core positions. But it's just, I agree with you. It's funny though, last year when essentially the, what, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes stack was like the holy grail of best ball leagues, of people trying to create that stack. And now while Travis Kelsey's price has remained essentially static this year, Mahomes is much cheaper and people still don't want to do it. <laughs> but, yeah. So it's just funny how the tables have turned for the Chiefs at this point, where I'm more likely to stack Denver and then grab KC bringbacks like later on versus trying to stack KC and then get like any of the Denver bringbacks later. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, Jen, I want to ask you about one final stack. Uh, you feel free to mention the Chiefs, but um, every once in a while, I take uh, Tyreek Hill in the second, Jalen Waddle in the third because I can get the rest of those Dolphins way late. Uh, it's a really expensive thing to do, though, because you're you're taking an offense that wasn't super lucrative in fantasy points last year, and you're, uh, you're banking on two targets in their early rounds. So that's your team. That's the, the emphasis. So uh, what do you think of that stack? I haven't done it. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I, I haven't done it. I haven't done a lot of... I haven't done a lot of dolphin. I mean, I've taken Hill and I've taken Waddle separately. Um, Tua is one of those guys that I just don't end up taking. Like yep. I'll have either I'll have either grabbed my quarterbacks before him, and and you know like I've grabbed Rogers and and you know Carr or Hertz and Rogers or whatever it is, and I just I've already fulfilled myself, so I haven't really. I just don't end up taking Tua. Um, I will say, and I'm just not. I'm not a big Jasicki person. Like it just doesn't, he's sure. not someone that I'm going to take either. So um, I will say if I do take dolphins, I'll kind of, you know, go for the, for the end of the line. I'll throw a, I'll throw a bone at Sony Michelle or Chase Edmonds or one of the, you know, yeah. one of the running backs, even though it's so cloudy and so gross, but um, someone's got to, you know, carry the ball there. So I'll, I'll throw a little bit there, but I have not been spending for Hill or Waddle very much. Interesting. I've got a lot of Hill this year, which is, I don't usually have a lot, but he's, he's there 2.10, 2.12, 3.1. And so uh, I, I end up with a lot of Tyreek Hill Tua. So, and because two is free, so two doesn't yeah. cost you anything. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just curious. I, I could sit here and talk uh, uh, for another hour about stacks and, and all of those sorts. Uh, in fact, I had to cut some of the things that we were going to talk about tonight uh, because we ran out of time. But I uh, want to thank Jen and Chris for uh, joining us as usual. Any final thoughts, Jen or Chris, before we go? Don't yeah, reach don't, week 17 reach. correlation rules all. I will also say this because I spent four hours dealing with Verizon yesterday. Uh, do not do not jump in the pool with your phone in your pocket like my thirteen year old did. So uh, yeah, yep, jumped in the pool with a foot with his phone, and now he uh, does not have one for a little bit. So better advice than what I just gave. <laughs> Both are excellent advice, I think. Yeah. Equally useful, I would say. Equally <laughs> useful because if you jump in the in the pool, then uh, you you. Although, to be fair, if you jump in the pool with your phone, it'll be harder for you to overdraft and draft ahead true. of ADP, right? True. That is true. Yeah, that's right. You won't it's- be drafting. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much again, Chris and Jen. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at the Monday Mommy at Chris Allen FFWX and at <laughs> you guys, Brandon. Thanks so much for checking us out. Have a good day. Bye.